Wow, I just love that song. I requested Laura to play that, and I'm going to be really excited. Towards the end of this message, we're going to learn exactly what Hosanna means and what it meant to praise Hosanna, Hosanna in the highest. So, a lot to be excited for. So, as we said earlier, today is a time of rejoicing. Palm Sunday, the kickoff before Easter Sunday. We can think of it kind of like a pep rally uh, right before the big homecoming game. The gospel story, Jesus is coming as the ultimate triumphant king and arriving in Jerusalem, preparing to move to the climax of the gospel story, his death and his resurrection. When I think about the excitement I feel um, about a king arriving, it reminds me of one of my favorite childhood films, um, Disney's Lion King. Uh, who, who hasn't seen that movie? Who has not seen that movie? That's what I thought. Don, really? Come on. Oh my goodness. Okay, well you're going to get some spoilers this morning. Um, but it's a classic, classic movie. And what I really love about the plot is that it surrounds the untimely death of a king, a pride rock, the king of the, the animal kingdom named Mufasa. And it's not some accidental death, uh, but who kills him? His jealous uh, brother named Scar. And so after this, Scar uh, overthrows him, successfully becomes king, and better yet, what does he do? He pins the blame on somebody. Who does he pin the blame on? His son Simba, right? So Simba uh, just has this overwhelmed by grief, um, it was technically his fault because if you remember, he gets chased by the, the buffaloes or the wilbur beasts or whatever it was that chased him, and he just feels awful that, oh my goodness, like, I don't deserve to be king, I don't deserve uh, to even be alive anymore. So he is just overcoming as a small child, uh, as a small cub, that he doesn't belong, uh, that he doesn't need to be king. And so unfortunately for the rest of the animal kingdom, what happens? They are subjugated by this awful, evil ruler. And so, even though the audience knows that Simba should be the rightful king, we know that unless he overcomes and finally comes to believe who he really is, only then can he take back the throne. And we get to a turning point uh, when he's out into the wilderness. I'm sure you guys remember, uh, what is it, Pumbaa and Timon, a um, you know, wild boar and some sort of mongoose that goes and... and gives him this whole new life uh, where he has no worries, he has no cares, and so he can just enjoy life. He can just lay back, you know, nothing's wrong. Hakuna Matata, right? So he doesn't have to worry about Pride Rock anymore. But suddenly he gets this vision of his father, his dead father, through the clouds. And what he does is that his father, Mufasa, reminds him of who he is, that he is the one true king. He is the one chosen uh, to run the animal kingdom, to be the true ruler of Pride Rock. So we are just excited because now we know there's going to be a turning point. He's going to go and return triumphantly back to Pride Rock and reclaim the throne from his evil uncle. So during that journey back, we are reminded about how terrible things have gotten in the absence of a king. So if you remember, what did Pride Rock compose of? What was, what was the kingdom? It was 
anything the light touches, right? So it was just this lustful, lively kingdom with all kinds of animals and wildlife. But now what has it become? It's become darkness. It's become oppressed. It's become subjugated by Scar and these evil uh, army of hyenas. And so it is, and, and the animals are oppressed, right? So when we finally get to see Simba come and rescue and come in to save his mother who's being attacked by Scar, the animals are just thrilled. They are in jubilation because why? Because they see in Simba liberation. They see hope. They see that this is a turning point where the one true king can finally get them out of this darkness and out of this corruption. So not only that, but what does it do? It pumps us up, right? Because the audience sees and we can't help but be enthralled because why? There's gonna be a final showdown between the evil Uncle Scar and this young Simba to claim the throne. And likewise, when we see Jesus descend down from the Mount of Olives, what that is representing is that same turning point that the king has finally arrived to set things right, to be the light into a place of darkness and corruption, of disarray, of scandal. Um, and we can't help but now to be excited because what? Is it going to be a final showdown between Jesus and not just a rival king, but what? A battle between death and sin itself at the cross. So in a similar way, we are just now super excited and enthralled, just like we were when we watched that movie as a kid, of what's going to happen next, what's going to be the turning point. So today we're going to dive into that story. Uh, we're going to dive into Mark's version of Jesus' triumphant return to Jerusalem. And we're going to ask some good questions that maybe you haven't thought about about Palm Sunday, like what is the deal with the donkey? What is the deal with throwing of the clothes or those palm branches? So today we're gonna look at those three images, the donkey, um, the clothing or the cloaks and the palm branches and say, what is the significance? What is the symbolism being shown through this story? And so uh, we'll keep in mind those three images that we're going to explain as we uh, go into our verse. So without further ado, if you're able to, uh, please stand for the reading of God's word. We're going to start in Mark chapter 11, uh, reading verses 1 through 10. So starting in verse 1. And as they approached Jerusalem at Bethphage and Bethany near the Mount of Olives, he sent two of his disciples and said to them to go into the village opposite of you. And immediately as you enter, you will find a colt tied there and on which no one has ever sat. Untie it and bring it here. And if anyone says to you, why are you doing this? Say, the Lord needs it, and immediately he will send it back here. They went away and found the colt tied at the door outside in the street, and they untied it. And some of the bystanders were saying to them, what are you doing untying the colt? And they told them, just as Jesus had said, and they gave them permission. So they brought the colt to Jesus and put their cloaks on it and sat on it. And many people spread their cloaks on the road, and others spread leafy branches, which they had cut from the fields. And those who went in front of those who followed were shouting, Hosanna! Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the coming kingdom of our father David. Hosanna in the highest. You may be seated. So if you look back at verse 1, 
of chapter 11, verse 1 and 2, there's really two significant prophecies being fulfilled uh, that we find in the book of Zechariah. So Jesus is descending down the Mount of Olives, which is very symbolically significant. We see in Zechariah chapter 14, we get this really awesome image of the prophet looking, having this dream of this apocalyptic uh, vision where Jerusalem is standing alone and all of the enemies of Israel are just coming upon it, barraging it, attacking it on every side. And what are they gonna do? They're gonna get defeated, right? But all of a sudden, out of nowhere, God's, like, God's feet somehow appear, and they appear on the foot of the Mount of Olives. And so God is standing there, and as he stands there, creates this gigantic cataclysmic earthquake, and the earthquake just goes and surrounds uh, Jerusalem. And what it does is it, it creates this ridge that gives the refugees in Jerusalem an escape path out of there, so they're able to flee safely. And so while the Israelites are fleeing from the city being attacked, God is just hailing down his um, heavenly army just upon these evil nations that want to do harm to Israel. So not only is God protecting Israel, he is going to uh, destroy its rivals, right? Um, sending these heavenly hosts um, to have destruction upon their enemies and will be the ultimate protector of the city. So when Jesus does that, it really alludes to this image of God coming down, descending uh, as a one true Messiah down uh, to Jerusalem to claim it as the protector um, of God's house, the temple. And our other image, we already read um, in our Old Testament reading that comes to us from Zechariah 9.9, which reads that the Messiah will ride upon a colt, which is a, another word for a, a young donkey. And he requests two of his disciples to go and fetch this uh, young donkey to ride uh, triumphantly through Jerusalem. And that will bring us to our first image that the donkey represents triumph. So the donkey represents triumph. And you might be asking yourself, what in the world, why would a donkey out of all animals represent triumph? You know, if you're thinking of the Messiah coming down, descending, uh, representing God's Messiah, what do, you, what do you think of? You know, you want to have uh, a stallion or a chariot or, or some sort of escalade for the first century, right? You want something with style. So why does he choose a donkey of all, um, of all things to ride? So I don't know if many of y'all have been up close and personal with a donkey before, uh, but they're not very intimidating. And in fact, during uh, Jenny and I's recent trip to Mexico, uh, we had baby Tobias go and ride on top of one. And um, you might be asking, wow, that's incredibly adorable. You know, does Pastor Chris might have a clip of that somehow? And by golly, I do, and we're gonna watch it. So Bob and Shane are gonna show this clip of little baby Tobias on top of a donkey. get the full entourage too. <laughs> so when we see that, you know, a, a animal that even a nine-month-old can ride, we typically don't think it's something that's very intimidating, do we? 
But uh, in order to really explain this, I think it's better to look back into the Old Testament where we see a story that really explains just how significant this donkey is. Uh, if you want to, you can feel free to flip back to 1 Kings chapter 1. Uh, I don't have time to read it, but I'll just kind of summarize what's going on. So chapter 1 of 1 Kings, it's a notable one because it is during uh, King David's last days. He is uh, bedridden. He's in terrible condition. He's really in no position to lead or, or even care for himself. And so there is just so much you know, so much the question about who's going to be succeeding him, who's going to be the one to step up in leadership because David clearly can't do it. And so Adonijah, who is David's oldest surviving son, will not only step up to the plate, but he arrogantly wants to supersede David. He is just counting down the days. He just cannot wait for his dad just to roll over and die so he can start ruling. And what he does, and instead of having his father bless his uh, coronation, he, what, he goes behind his back and hosts his own festival and pulls supporters from David's administration to uh, give him his own coronation feast without his blessing. So not a very good guy. And so the prophet, um, David's loyal prophet Nathan, gets word of this, and he is really concerned uh, because he knows that how ruthless Adonijah is going to be, and he won't hesitate to uh, assassinate or kill his siblings um, to secure his throne. So he's worried about that, and the first thing he does is he goes to Bathsheba, Solomon's son, and says, hey, here's the deal. Adonijah's having this coronation festival. You know, Solomon's in danger. You've got to do something about it. Go and tell David and speak with him. So Bathsheba does. She goes and speaks to David. And long story short, not only does David um, agree to let Solomon uh, be the favored one to succeed him, he basically puts the uh, coronation ceremony right there on the spot for Solomon. The first thing that he does is that he goes and he takes his mule, his royal mule. And you might think, well, why is that such a big deal? What's, what's the big deal? He's, you know, taking out the mule. But this mule symbolized so much. So this wasn't a mule that, you know, when Solomon and um, Absalom and everyone were kids, they can go and ride whenever they wanted to. Like, this was not that. This was like a royal carriage. This represented like a throne upon which no one could touch other than the king. And so for David to quickly go and give him the mule to go and ride throughout the city for his anointing, that left absolutely zero doubt who David's true chosen successor was. So those people knew uh, that Adonijah was just a fraud and that Solomon had his true blessing because he had his very own animal. So they go and they quickly assemble uh, with the priest Zadok and go to a spring outside Jerusalem to anoint Solomon. And during this march to the spring, there is just jubilation because they are celebrating that this is you know, the, the, the son that's marked with the official royal approval. This is a chosen king. This is without doubt, without distinction, the true um, ruler uh, to take the place of King David. So there is celebration, jubilation through the streets. In fact, if you look at verse 40 in chapter 1 of 1 Kings, there is this image that everyone got so rowdy and got so, such an uproar that literally the earth quaked uh, because so many were so happy. Uh, that Solomon was anointed. 
Um, and if you're wondering about Adonijah, uh, needless to say, you know, things don't end too well for him. Uh, word gets back from the, uh, the priest Jonathan that, oh, by the way, your dad just gave, you know, your other son, uh, Solomon the mule and has a coronation with him. And you can imagine the, the dinner guests there are, you know, kind of checking their watch and be like, whoa, you know, it's been fun. It's, it's been a good festival, but I got I got better run out. <laughs> so you could imagine, um, yeah, things do not end up well with Adonijah. So the, the purpose of that story is just to show that this mule, this donkey, is symbolizing that just as Solomon was without a doubt the true successor of King David, the one and only chosen king, just like Jesus coming and choosing this donkey, it is showing symbolically that this is without a doubt the one and true Messiah, the one and true king that was foretold throughout the Old Testament. So that is what gives us so much excitement. And that is why the donkey was chosen to be and represent the, the symbol of triumph, the, the vehicle in which Jesus is going to arrive in Jerusalem and descend upon the Mount of Olives. The next part is the clothing. So if you look at verse 8 in Mark 11, Jesus is riding the donkey. They successfully get it um, and find it just as Jesus instructed. And as soon as they find the, the colt or the donkey, they quickly put their cloaks on top of it. And then they do something kind of weird. They, as the donkey is walking and, and he's carrying it, uh, with his disciples, kind of like uh, Toby was being carried, they're throwing their garments, they're throwing their clothing in front of it to be trampled on. And they're also throwing these palm trees um, and singing and celebrating. And it's kind of like, why? You know, that's kind of strange. Why would they be doing this? So the reason why that is uh, comes to our second, our second uh, image, which is the clothing, um, which represents surrender. The clothing represents surrender. We see elsewhere in the Old Testament, most notably when Jehu becomes inaugurated king uh, in 2 Kings chapter 9, that it's very customary for a king to be coronated. Uh, and part of the coronation process is this throwing of these garments in front of the king in order for him to trample on top of it. And even though it seems strange to us, the reason uh, why this tradition makes sense is because it's a symbolism showing that you are surrendering to this, this new king, this new lord. You are um, having him be your lord, taking him under your lordship. And why that is, is that just as uh, Jehu was announced to be king, and instantly people just threw, threw their clothes at him, was because that this represents like, I'm surrendering my valuables. I'm surrendering uh, myself and entrusting you to be my king. So as you can imagine, just like when we see Jesus, what do we need to do? We need to do something similar as this crowd was doing, throwing their garments, throwing their cloaks, and showing that this is the king. I'm surrendering myself to the king. I'm entrusting Jesus to be my Lord. And this is a very powerful gesture to support that idea that Jesus is the one true king that I will throw and I will sacrifice to follow. And very quickly, we're going to go through uh, the branches. So our third and last image is um, these palm branches. And does everyone, does everyone have their palm branches? You want to show them off a little bit if you're able to? Yeah, so waving these palm branches, what those represent is um, 
is not actually found in a coronation ceremony in the Old Testament. What they do is that it's actually connected with another festival, a pilgrim festival uh, called Booths or Tabernacle. And uh, it's not really used as a tool for inauguration uh, that we find um, in the Bible, but it is found in, uh, in between the Old and New Testament uh, during the coronation of Simon Maccabee. Uh, for those who don't know, uh, it's a reason why uh, the Jews celebrate Hanukkah, because before Rome came in and subjugated Jerusalem, it was ruled by the, uh, the Greeks, and they won their independence by this family, this Maccabee family, and they successfully uh, had war against them and, and won over them. And so during that ceremony, when Simon Maccabee comes and becomes the true king, he, um, he's just laid over with, with palm branches in his path. Another example that we do see in the Bible uh, that illustrates the point as well comes from Nehemiah chapter 8. So uh, this is towards the end of Nehemiah where the walls are built, everything is settled, uh, the, uh, the city of Jerusalem is fully restored, fully built, and the defensive walls are up. And on the seventh month, uh, what do you think they do? Do they, you think they go and enjoy their, their brand new homes that they built? Of course not. <laughs> What they do is they actually take palm trees, uh, take these olive branches, and make these little tents, these little dwellings on top of the roofs and in their courtyard. And uh, the reason they do this is because the, um, the prophet, um, the, uh, the teacher Ezra, will go and reteach the law. If you remember, um, you know, the Jews have been away from uh, the, the Holy Land for years and years. They've grown up in Babylon for the last 70 years. They don't even know Hebrew uh, anymore. They don't know the laws. And so when Ezra is reteaching them, he's teaching them back in the seventh month to go and celebrate uh, booths and celebrate uh, rebuilding these dwelling places. And what they commemorate is the Exodus story where God provided and made provisions for the Israelites as they dwelled in the wilderness for 40 years, uh, but nevertheless, God provided them security. He provided them a dwelling place. He provided them safety. And you would think, you know, instead of enjoying their, their brand new, um, fully renovated homes, they are just so excited to be living in these little tents uh, because they know what these little tents represent. They represent security. They represent freedom. They represent liberation. Uh, especially in this context from Babylon, finally escaping the grasp of this evil empire and fully um, come to realize that God did fulfill his promise. It took him 70 years, but you know God is faithful. He faithfully made the promise that they would return to their promised land and rebuild their temple and their city. Um, so that's the, the last um, of our images and the last reason is that this image of security, uh, that we can rely on God's security through his word, uh, because when God says something's going to come true, we can rely on that. We can, we can bet the house on it, that it might not turn out the way that we want to. It might not um, all come together in the way that we imagined in our head, but we can know at the end of the day, God, you're going to make everything okay. You're going to provide. You're going to be my security blanket. You're going to be my, my little tent, my, my palm branch over me. So that is something that we can be um, relieved to know. So we have uh, the donkey coming through. We have clothes that are being thrown in the path of the donkey. We're having these palm branches um, thrown in the path of the donkey as it comes to 
uh, Jerusalem and what are the people saying there? They're saying these pilgrimage songs and they're singing uh, Hosanna, Hosanna, Hosanna in the highest. So what exactly in the, word, in the world does that mean, Hosanna? So Hosanna, even though for us in English it is one word, um, in the Hebrew it's actually a phrase. It's a combination of two different Hebrew words. The first word is um, something like Hoshia, like Hoshia, Hoshia. Hoshia is like an imperative that uh, to deliver. So, you know, save me, save me, deliver me, deliver me. So it's like an imperative, a command to save or to deliver. And then the second word is na, which is now. So save now, save now. That's literally what the Hebrew means is save now. Hoshia na. It's literally a plea for God to come help us, to come save us. And you can imagine as these palm trees or these palm branches are being thrown up, um, these clothings, these um, cloaks are being spread out, um, awaiting like a red carpet uh, for this new king to arrive. And they're singing this Hoshia, Hoshia, Hoshiana, uh, to save now, save now, God. The king has arrived. The king has finally arrived. There's a... Hoshiana is used um, one time prominently in the Old Testament, and it's quoted, so the people are quoting from a famous psalm, uh, praise psalm, that we find in Psalm 118, verses 24 through 26. Uh, it's one that's really famous. I'm sure if I started it, you guys will be able to finish it, so let's, let's try it. Uh, psalm 118, verses 24 to 26. Uh, this is the day the Lord has made. Let us... There we go. That's where that psalm comes from. And after that, it says, Hoshiana, Hoshiana, O Lord, Hoshiana, save, deliver us now. O Lord, let us prosper. May he who enters be blessed in the name of the Lord. We bless you from the house of the Lord, referring to the temple. So as we close out, I want you to reflect on that psalm found in Psalm 118, that the one has entered the true king his name be blessed he is now entering and welcomed back into the house of the lord he is here to do one mission to conquer sin and death once and for all amen, amen. something to celebrate something to roll a red carpet for with palm branches and cloaks and garments so as we think about that, let us reflect on those three images we talked about earlier. The donkey, God is coming triumphantly and um, distinctly, not just anyone, but the one chosen one, not an Adonijah, but the one true chosen Messiah, which is only Lord Jesus. Second, the clothes, the garments, that we need to surrender. We need to surrender to God. Because we know that he is the one true king over our life, we too should only react appropriately by throwing our garments, surrendering fully to Jesus and only to Jesus as our Lord and King, uh, nothing else. And then lastly, the palms, the branches, the things that we just waved at earlier which represent our security, knowing that we are protected, that God's promises for our lives are true, 
that we can bet the farm on them, um, that God is always going to follow through. And so, so many, so those are three enormous reasons to come and celebrate and rejoice no matter where you find yourself this morning. That we are triumphant, we are surrendering, and that we are secure in the Lord, in King Jesus. And despite King Jesus being all-powerful and almighty, having the infinite powers at his disposal, as a father has, he did not come to the earth as a tyrant. What did he come as? A servant, someone who his disciples called his friend, who didn't turn away from uh, a beggar or a prostitute, uh, someone who washed the feet of his disciples, and someone who humbly and humiliatingly died for our sin and paid a price for us. That is our king. He wants us to be his friend. He loves us, and he loves you very, very much. That he came and he paid the ultimate debt, separating us, which is our own darkness, our own sinful behaviors, our own selfishness. But God has freed us from that by paying the ultimate price, sacrificing his son, so as Laura comes up and we close out with our final hymn, I just want you to reflect on that. Man, Jesus, the God of the universe, the God that has all the power to create everything that's around you, um, is coming as a servant to serve you, to lay down his life for you. Uh, not because he had to, not because he's weak, but because he gave that away to enter into a relationship with each and every one of you. So as we close out, um, if you feel just the warmth of God's Holy Spirit penetrating you, uh, maybe you haven't had a true everlasting relationship with Jesus, or maybe you have fallen away, you know, this Easter season, and you need a rekindling of that spark that you had in your relationship, I just want you to come, as the song goes, and join me. Pray with me. Pray with me. Hoshiana. Save now, save now, Jesus, the one true king who has come to save and to defeat sin and death. Not because he had to, but because he loves me. Let's go in prayer. Father God, how amazing is the truth that you came and died for us. This week marks the beginning of a triumphant entry a declaration of you, Jesus, being the one true king, coming to save us, coming to end the disorder, the disarray, and restore the kingdom. Just like when we look back at the Lion King story, God, what was once a thriving and utopia um, away from sin and death, uh, Father, because of our corruption, we have fallen astray, God, and we need uh, the Savior your chosen son, Jesus, God, to come and liberate us from the darkness in our death. And we thank you for paying that price. And this week, I pray, um, as we enter into Good Friday, as we enter into Easter Sunday, that, God, we can just reflect each and every day this following week and take time to pray, take time to remember, take time to acknowledge 
that God, you are the true king of my life. I do surrender you to you. Uh, I cast my clothes in front of you and declare you my king. So Father, I pray that's the truth of each and every one of us here today. And we thank you. And in your name, we pray, Jesus. Amen.